Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. The number of patients treated for ground-level falling injuries at Oregon Health and Science University nearly doubled between 2016 and 2022. And Oregon is not alone. According to a recent study, the rate of fall-related deaths among older Americans is increasing significantly nationwide. That's why Katie Drago, an OHSU geriatrician and associate professor of medicine, says falls are truly becoming a public health emergency. It's also why OHSU is currently enrolling participants in a six-month study designed to reduce the risks of falls among people 65 and older. Katie Drago joins us now to talk about why people fall and what can be done to prevent it. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. You've called this program as I just, or this problem as I just mentioned, a public health emergency. It's a strong statement. What do you mean? It is a strong statement and one that I think is really valid. Um, the We know from vital statistics data over many, many years that fall-related injury is actually the number one cause of accidental death in this country among those 65 and older. Hmm. Um, well, what are the potential? I mean, death is, is uh, I mentioned it earlier, that, that that there's been a doubling from, I think, about 1999 to 2020 nationwide in terms of deaths from these falls. Mm-hmm. What are the other potential repercussions? So we worry about loss of independence, loss of ability to engage in beloved hobbies and activities, to stay engaged, all the way up to major injuries. We think about things like fractures of arms, legs, hips, spine, and then traumatic brain injuries, all of which can be life-altering, if not life ending. And just to be clear, we're not talking here about falls from heights, from a ladder, say. We're talking, say, about somebody going uh, into the bathroom and, and slipping there. Exactly right. Um, these really are two different beasts. Um, falling from a ladder, falling off a roof is a very different mechanism from our perspective than someone tripping over a curb or even tripping over their feet um, in their house, struggling in the bathroom, struggling in the kitchen, totally different. There has been as I noted, a, a nearly doubling of these serious falls at, in, at OHSU that you've categorized um, over the last six or seven years. That can't be explained by baby boomers, like this big cohort of, mm-hmm. of older Americans getting older. So what's behind the increase? That's a great question. Um, there are a few theories out there. I have my own theories. Um, you know, we are living longer as a society, and that's a wonderful, wonderful benefit of great medicine and great healthcare um, and advances in medicine over many decades. What that does mean is that many of us are living longer with chronic conditions. We're living longer with multiple medications, and we're living into our later years with more cognitive impairments and functional impairments that elevate our everyday risk of having a fall event. Can you give us some of the most common circumstances for these falls? I mean, what in general leads to these falls? Oh my gosh. Physically. That is an excellent question. Um, I see a lot of folks that wind up in the, in our hospital with traumatic injuries after a fall and uh, far and away, these falls never happen for just one reason. We are always looking at scenarios where um, there are multiple factors that come colliding together in a particular situation um, to cause the fall 
and then the injury. I think about, and what I hear a lot is about people living with balance troubles. Um, maybe they use a walker or a cane. Maybe the walker was across the room when they fell. Maybe they got up in a, in a hurry to use the bathroom or answer the phone or the doorbell and left the walker behind. Maybe there was a new medication that was started that actually is contributing to some dizziness or some fatigue that um, in that setting with, with balance impairments, with other medications, with a household maybe that's a bit cluttered or there's furniture in the wrong spot, all of those factors conspire together uh, in order to cause someone to fall. What is it about aging in particular that makes falls more likely? That too is a great question. So um, falls are not inevitable. I do want to start there, um, that it's not a normal part of aging to fall. Um, we do see falls becoming more common as people get older, in part because they're living with more medical issues. Older adults take a lot more medication in an average year than their younger adult counterparts. Um, and there are lots of us in our later years living in the community with things like various dementias, after strokes, after heart attacks, um, that can actually ch dramatically change our lives, both physically and mentally. Hmm. I just want to remind folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Katie Drago, a geriatrician at Oregon Health and Science University. We're talking about the rise in falls among older adults and also what we can do about it. So let's turn to some of the advice that you give to your patients, starting with exercise. Mm -hmm. What can people do physically to make falls less likely? I'm fond of saying that bodies in motion stay in motion. Thank you, Newton. Um, and it really is true that the more you move around, the more you use your body, your muscles, your balance um, controls, they're going to be those muscles and strength are going to be there to support you when you have the accidental trip over your toes or trip over a curb. Um, we recommend generally more than just walking. Walking is really good cardiovascular exercise, but we really recommend that people focus on muscle training, so strength training, um, and then flexibility and balance training. There is great evidence in the medical literature for Tai Chi in particular, um, that regular practice of Tai Chi, we usually recommend around two to three hours a week, um, either mostly you know two to three days a week, about an hour at a time, um, can reduce the risk of falling by about 50% and even reduce the risk of having an injury. Why, what's special about the movements or the practice of Tai Chi? Tai Chi really focuses on balance. So it really focuses on um, what we call dynamic balance, which is maintaining your balance and your position as you move between different positions. Um, that is often one of the strengths that our bodies call upon when we're moving around, when we're most likely to fall. So if you're practicing your dynamic balance through Tai Chi, those skills are going to be um, kind of at the ready to save you should the unthinkable happen. What about something like reaction time? I mean, just the, your ability to recognize that something has happened and then to, to move your foot or your arms to, to catch yourself, is can that be practiced? So reaction time does generally slow as we get older, and, and it's believed that that is a normal part of aging. Practices like Tai Chi can actually improve or give you more confidence um, as you're moving around. So that way, um, even though you're fighting some of the physiology, you actually are priming your body to protect you in those situations. You've also said that minding medication is, is one of your broad recommendations. Mm -hmm. When you say that, are you talking to 
older people themselves to to patients, or are you talking to primary care doctors? Uh, really, to all of the above, um, we you know we are learning lots and lots every day about polypharmacy, which is the condition of taking multiple medications um, per day that affects older adults. Um, we're learning lots about deprescribing, the process of gradually reducing medications that may be unnecessary or maybe per Proving to be risky, um, where maybe they weren't years ago. Um, so the science in that area is rapidly evolving. Um, but I do really want to empower patients and their families. Um, you know, a lot of older adults are aging with their medications, meaning they take them for years and years and years, sometimes decades. Um, and that's not a bad thing inherently. But an 85-year-old body is not the same as a 40-year-old body. So what was appropriate or what was necessary at 40 or 45 may no longer be appropriate or necessary at 85 or 90. So what I usually recommend is for patients and their family members if you're accompanying a family, a loved one or a friend or a family member to a visit with their doctor, um, I make it a point every year to have my dad ask, can we go over my medications? Can we get rid of anything I don't need anymore? Um, that actually can be a really powerful step that patients and family members can take to make sure that we all are working together to curate medication lists um, to match the needs of the person at that individual time. The last thing you recommend is clearing a path. This has to do with people's homes, mm -hmm. their hallways. If you are walking through some space, what are you on the lookout for? That's an excellent question. So our environment can really do a lot to support us in maintaining independence. Uh, what I think about and what I encourage patients and family members to think about is making sure that there are wide enough hallways and, and trafficked corridors through rooms, especially if you use a cane or a walker. So making sure that you have a wide enough space that you can easily maneuver around so that way your assistive device doesn't become more of a hindrance or become something that you leave behind. Um, watching out for maybe legs of furniture that stick out a bit farther, um, other tripping hazards, um, uh, needing, you know, needs assistant needs for getting in and out of bed. If the bed is too tall, are there steps, you know, step stools maybe that could be used to help getting in and out of bed? Is it time maybe for a different bed? Um, maybe that's lower or higher, depending on what you need. And then thinking about adaptive equipment, like bars for the bathroom, um, thing, you know, bars and rails that can help you stand up or get down, you know, sitting down on a toilet, benches that can help get in and out of a tub, um, other bars in common common areas where we are moving around in ways that may pose more of a risk. 20 years ago, um, uh, the surgeon and writer Atul Gawande, he wrote a, a fascinating essay that ended up in his book, Being Mortal. Mm -hmm. He followed a geriatrician around, mm -hmm. um, a seemingly wonderful doctor. And Atul Gawande was really surprised by how much time this doctor spent just looking at his patient's feet. And, mm -hmm. and Gawande said, basically, I'm a surgeon. I'm used to fancy, expensive interventions. Uh, and why are you spending so much time looking at people's feet? And and what he said is, if I don't, there's a much better chance that they will fall and hurt themselves and do all the things that you were talking about at the beginning. But mm -hmm. the sense I got from that was that geriatricians, this was, this was 20 years ago, that mm -hmm. there were sort of lonely voices uh, in the medical establishment paying attention to crucial details that are often ignored by other doctors. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you think that is still the case. 
So geriatricians and geriatric medicine training really gives us a unique perspective um, in medicine and on patient care. We focus on the intersections between the physiologic, the psychologic, and the social environment. That's really um, one of the main underpinnings of the field of geriatrics. And so as a natural extension of that approach, we think about people in their, quote, natural habitats. So in their social circles, in their living space, in the spaces they like to be, um, the hobbies they like to engage in. Uh, and we really think about how does necessary medical care, um, medications, procedures, how does that fit into the overall narrative of this person's life? What they want from their life, um, what barriers they are currently seeing to their life. Um, and oftentimes there are really elegant and simple solutions um, that are out there and available that we can use in order to keep people living the lives they want to live. Uh, I think about things um, like feet and foot care. Um, I've, happy feet are really the key to a life. So doing simple things like trimming toenails, um, uh, trimming calluses that may be painful and may make it hard to walk, thinking about what footwear are you wearing and is it doing you a good service? Those are really easy things for us to think about. But, um, but it, most older people don't see geriatricians, right? Mm -hmm. They see primary care doctors who don't have the specialty that you're talking about don't necessarily come from the, the same philosophic point of view. Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering how, what it would take to change the culture of American medicine or American society to make everything you're, you're talking about more commonly talked about and practiced. That is one of our big, uh, big agendas in the field of geriatric medicine is to quote geriatricize healthcare, hmm. um, because there will likely not be enough geriatricians and geriatric trained providers to meet the demands from the, the aging population. Um, this is this desire is where national initiatives like the Age Friendly Health Systems Initiative come from. This is a nationwide quality improvement initiative run by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and the John A. Hartford Foundation. Um, that is uh, designed to embed the core principles of really high-value geriatric care into primary care, specialty care, inpatient care, long-term and long-term care and rehab across the country. Um, and the framework that they use is called the four M's. This, these are expert-recommended, sort of distilled-down geriatric best practice, and it comes down to what matters, which really speaks to goal-concordant care, making sure that patients get exactly the care they want, no more, no less. Medications, which really speaks to minimizing high-risk medications and making sure that people are only taking the medications they absolutely need. Mobility at all stages of care, which means helping people move to the best of their ability and making sure um, that we're focusing on helping them do the things they want to do. And then mentation, which really speaks to addressing and managing delirium, depression, and dementia across the spectrum of care. Katie Drago, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Dave. Katie Drago is an associate professor of medicine at Oregon Health and Science University, where she is a geriatrician.